Boom! What's up, Familia? We're here to talk about Dark Web X-Men issue number one and Amazing Spider-Man number 15. And we got some mixed feels on it and we're going to discuss right now. What's up, Familia? This is Dayspring here to discuss Amazing Spider-Man issue number 15 by Zeb Wells and Ed McGinnis, as well as Dark Web X-Men issue one by Jerry Dugan and Rod Rice. And it's continuing the Dark Web crossover event that's happening right now. And I got to tell you, I think these issues are a bit better than the first issue, but they're not without flaws, especially X-Men Dark Web. But, you know, one of the things that I was talking about in our last review was that this crossover should be a slam dunk for me right like i am a big fan of madeline pryor i'm a big fan of ben riley it's christmas in new york it's i'm in new york right now i've lived here 17 years i just moved away so i'm nostalgic for rockefeller center and you know one thing i wanted to talk about that i forgot to mention in my last review is that the x-men always do rockefeller during christmas so this is Perfect. It's supposed to put you in the spirit. And may I say, Jean, during the Phoenix saga, was at Rockefeller Center when she was abducted and taken into space. So, you know, this is like the birthplace for Phoenix, Madeline, and everything. And I don't even think the issue is really that aware of it. It's fine. It's just like a little like nod there, a little Easter egg that I wish that I, you know, as a reader, we would know that there would be like nudge, nudge. You know what I mean? Like, mm, you know, the writer is absolutely aware of that. But, you know, why don't we dive into it and we can sort of break down our feelings from there. As always, Familia, hang on, I'm just pulling up the issues right here. Okay. As always, Familia, feel free to send me your thoughts at Power of X-Men on Instagram. I don't really use Facebook or Twitter or what was the Hive was the new one. Like, I know everyone was like saying, hey, look, we downloaded Hive. I'm not on any other social media platforms, just YouTube and Instagram. And even then, I don't really use that much, you know, YouTube in terms of answering DMs and stuff like that. All right. So... X-Men Dark Web, or I'm sorry, Dark Web, X-Men Issue 1 kicks off with a little origin story of magic, which, which was really well done, to be very honest with you. But that's Rod Rice. Like, Rod Rice has a great, you know, artistic skill. We've had him on the podcast before. He's mentioned how, how it takes him a while to draw because as you can see, this is absolutely gorgeous. Like he, he pours a lot of effort in here, much like every artist, you know, he's always on deadlines, but he's always like literally drawing to like three in the morning. Like he was just telling us his insane schedule. But anyways, so the X-Men are at Rockefeller Center and they find out and they see that it's Maddie who's causing all of this issue, which is fine. That's something we knew before. Gene's like, I'm seeing all these disturbances around the city. And Magic's like, I guess we're not going to FAO Schwartz, which, by the way, the issue with Cannonball and Gladiator, Uncanny X-Men 3, something I'm forgetting, was one, is one of my favorite holiday issues. So anyways... Magic says, Scott, Maddie had changed. I really got to know her, and there's no way this time will be as bad as the last time. And then, oops, they see all of these objects eating people. So one thing that I wasn't aware of, and I said this in the last issue, and, and right here it's in your face, 
is that Dark Web is a sequel to Inferno. It's actually Inferno 2. And I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, we read Inferno for Book Club, and it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's campy. It's fun. It's over the top. But in terms of, like, X-Men history, it's a crossover that's very dense, very, you know, over the top. I'm fine with it. Obviously, it here it's done really well. I think the literary techniques and the writers that are doing, especially Dugan in this, understand it's supposed to be zany and over the top. So it's fine. It, it, it's campy and it's fun. But I don't know. I wasn't really... What's what I'm looking for? I wasn't really, really craving uh, an Inferno sequel. I wanted something different. But anyways, so Forge is there. And Forge is, you know, created something on Krakoa, and this machine is able, you know, to use oxygen on these demons. I don't know, like the science is like delineated there, but he's able to stop some of the, you know, the demons that are attacking humans. So the objects that are being demonically possessed and attacking humans, and then he syncs up with Sync and tells him, you know, like, hey, what's the status quo out there? And Sync's like, everywhere is terrible, but Treehouse is fine. I don't know why they keep reiterating the point over and over again that she can't attack, that Madeline can't attack for Koa and the treehouse. I feel once was enough. You know, it, it, them repeating it so often, I'm sort of like, okay, like, is this going to be a plot point? Is Madeline going to violate that somehow? I know she's magically bound to not being able to, but has she found a way to circumvent it? I don't know. I mean, listen, it's just, it's just something to note. One of the things that we do get here that's really fun is that we get the amazing Spider-Man and or Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and they take on uh, lots of demons together, including the Rockefeller tree, which turns into this big old demon that ate Santa. But don't worry, Santa can be resurrected because he's a mutant, which that was really nice that Gary Dugan had mentioned that. And Firestar is able to stop him because at the end of the day he's still a tree and then we get like a little nod to like the amazing Spider-Man crew. Meanwhile Magic, Havoc, Cyclops uh, and Jean go to Limbo and a big old rock is being thrown at them and Cyclops is like oh I don't like it when people throw rocks at me because last time when I was a kid I got brain damage uh, like a little nod to his powers but Jean's like stops it she goes this is just a diversion and magic's like no she's throwing sleeping demons at us ah so then you know gene and magic are held at maddie's citadel you know kind of like in the state of limbo and then magic or excuse me uh, maddie has cyclops and havoc chained up in a dungeon and we find out that havoc is in his goblin prince outfit and madeline comes in saying that she's going to be getting everything she wants and that they're going to be there to see it and sort of whips her chains and they or slaps them with chains and then they they sort of fall to the ground and we have maddie standing over them victorious all right so the issue is not bad by any means. It is a well-written issue. There are a lot of really great character beats that I thoroughly enjoy. I think the art, again, Rod Rice is perfect. Jerry Dugan, again, 
solid writer. My main criticism with Dugan has always been that I don't feel the stories really go anywhere, right? We have all of the story, but there's no over-the-top payoff. Like when you think of Grant Morrison, when you think of Hickman, when you think of Leah Williams's Trial of Magneto, for example, the stories kind of go from A, B, and C. I cannot tell you what happened in the first inaugural Crocoa and X-Men. I can't tell you what their plot was. I felt like the book was just meandering, just these really odd standalone stories and threads that just seemed inconsequential. So this is how I feel about this issue here, which is like, yeah, of course, the writing's not bad, but I don't really understand where this is going. A couple of things that just like I think are a little bit like overdone. One, you know, Spider-Man having a cameo with Iceman and Firestar. First of all, we knew that was going to happen because of the trailer, but we always get a little nod anytime these characters are around. And I love that. I do love that. But I don't know. It just seems to like really not go anywhere other than just like a little nudge to to readers or, you know, people who watch the show who would be in the know, which at this point, I'm like, most of these readers who are reading the Xbox weren't even alive during Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I'm curious. I'm curious if a lot of people even care about this nudge anymore. It's fine. Again, I like it. I'm in for it. I'm going to Instagram this. But again, it doesn't really seem to go anywhere. Similarly with Maddie. I mean, this is we're going to we're going to pick up what we were talking about last week, which is I'm tired of Madeline just being evil. And Havoc has this quote in this issue where he says, well, you know, she was the one who was left behind. She was the one who was tossed out. I can sympathize with that. And then we find out that he's in his Goblin Prince outfit. And it's like, okay, again, you're just giving a nod to the Goblin Prince because that's what happened in the original Inferno. I don't need Alex back in his Goblin Prince outfit. Listen, I'm sure a lot of people love it. He looks good doing it. That There's no shade on that. But I'm just like, why are we homaging Inferno? Why aren't we moving past this? And similarly, why is Alex giving away Madeline's feelings? Again, like, is this something that's, like, really important? Madeline has no agency. I am so tired of Madeline as a character, as an editorial character, having no agency. Alex shouldn't be the one revealing her feels, right? It should be Madeline being like, I was the one who was left behind, you know, you, Cyclops, you're like, you don't want to deal with me every time you open up your heart to me, Cyclops. And, you know, I do something like this. Well, how about this? I opened up my life to you. I gave you a son. We were supposed to spend happily ever after together. And you left the second you found out Gene was alive. And then I was forgotten about because I was a clone. Well, <laughs> sorry, I got a little emotional there. But there is your line. Havoc does not need to give this half big, oh, you know, so I've been left behind. I'm like, come on, give that line to Maddie. And Maddie's in the room when Cyclops is saying something. Like, every time I want to give Madeline the benefit of the doubt. Which, by the way, when do you give Madeline the benefit of the doubt? Let, let, let's think about that right here. One, Certainly Inferno, you know, everything was really new. So that doesn't really count because you left her and she got angry. And, you know, we had the entire situation crossover there. So Madeline dies at the end of Inferno. We know you don't reunite with her when she comes back with Nate Gray. That was Jean who reunited with him. And the only time I can think of when Scott reunited with Madeline was during the sisterhood arc when she was trying to find a vessel. So she wasn't even like unleashing hell on San Francisco, which is where the X-Men were on the time. 
or even on Utopia. She just attacked because she was trying to find out where Jean's body was and Logan had a locket of Jean's hair. Again, this is a very stupid story because Jean was just buried in the mansion, <laughs> the long established graveyard in the mansion. Like if Madeline knew that Wolverine had a lock of Jean's hair, why wouldn't she know that Jean is buried in the mansion? It doesn't make any sense to me. You know what I mean? Um, and Madeline's called findagrave.com. <laughs> but anyways, that's the only time I can think of like they actually reunited and had a conversation. So I don't know. I mean, like, fuck you, Scott, for saying something like that, A. But B, um, editorially speaking, like, Madeline and Scott have never had a proper reunion. They've never really like chatted. They've never really come to terms with some of the stuff that's happened. I think in X-Men The End, which is an alternate future, we do have some kind of closure there. And we find out that Madeline is actually the part of Jean Grey that loves Cyclops endlessly, whatever, you know, some Chris Claremont stuff there. But regardless, regardless, I just think that was a really crummy line from Cyclops, taking the 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 context of the story only. That was a really crummy con like line from Cyclops. You have not given Madeline ever the benefit of the doubt. In fact, when she died, you were probably team whoever on the council that was like, we don't resurrect clones. And of all the people in that room who should have said no, Scott should have been one of them. Scott should have been like, I've lived with her. I had a son with her. I assure you she is more than just a clone. And Jean should have too, by the way. Jean Grey should have too, because Jean has her memories. So yeah, I'm kind of disappointed with how Madeline is sort of rendered here. I don't think that's fair at all. I think for editorially, she's capable of so much greatness, of having so much great lines. And you're just giving what could be a really powerful line to her boy toy, Alex. So, you know, that's my those are my feels with X-Men Dark Web or Dark Web X-Men number one, whatever it's called. It's... It, it, it just doesn't really strike where I want it to. Again, this is only issue two of a larger crossover. So let, let us give everyone the benefit of the doubt. But are we just going to build towards a really nice scene where Madeline's like, oh, Scott, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, it's already here. Alex already said the line. And I hope that's not what we're building to. Because again, Alex delivers a line and Madeline is whipping them with chains. She's like, I'm going to get what I want. And by the way, if I were Madeline, I mean... This is like 30 plus years of storytelling. But, you know, Madeline, move on. Like, that's it. Don't burn Krakoa. Like, reunite with Cable. You know, find out about Strife. You know, talk to your stepchildren. We've seen, where's Nate Gray? You know what I mean? Like, talk to Rachel. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just wish Madeline would just move on from wanting to just be evil and burn the X-Men. And maybe that's a gimmick that the character has but i just think again editorially she's capable of so much more i really would have loved leah williams or kelly thompson to have written her i think they could have written a really good madeline Pryor. i wish we would have gotten the trial of magneto i wish we would have gotten the trial of scott summers and it's a story about madeline Pryor, right that's where i really think we should have we, we should we should have gone last year but as of right now, ah, this is just Attack of the Evil Clones, and Madeline is sort of being emblematic of that. <laughs> okay, well then, on the flip side, we have Amazing Spider-Man number 15 with Zeb Wells and Ed McGuinness, and it is a story of Ben, Riley, and Spider-Man. And so it opens up with the objects still turning on people in Manhattan. So this is, in this case, a baby stroller that's trying to devour a baby in it. And Venom saves the day. And Spider-Man is all like, oh, man, 
Ben, why are you beating up on Norman, my boss? And, you know, there's this really beautiful scene in there where I wish we would have gotten the scene with Jean and Madeline. But Peter goes up to Ben and goes, I knew you were alive. I could feel I could feel it. Thank God. Are you okay?" Says that to Ben Riley. And that is just so powerful because he's more than just a clone. And Peter gets that. And listen, he's angry. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I don't think. I think of all the characters here who have a right to be angry. I think Ben Riley has a right to be angry. I think Madeline certainly has a, the right to be angry. But we're not seeing that human side in Madeline as we are seeing in, in Ben Riley. And we talked about this in the last review of Dark Web, which is Zeb Wells can write a really good Ben Riley. I think because he obviously was tackling him during the Spider Man Beyond story. But I wish you would bring that keen editorial eye to Madeline. And I honestly, I don't think anyone can write Madeline Pryor. The only people I think who can write Madeline Pryor are definitely like Jeff Loeb, who did the X-Men series. I mean, gave us a really good Madeline. I And I don't remember who wrote Mutant X, but I think Mutant X Madeline is really well done. So, ah, you know, I really wish Zeb Wells would just have a beat with Gene and Madeline and Scott and and sort of write them really well. Again, I was disappointed how Zeb wrote Gene and Scott in last issues. I mean, they're they're assholes when it comes to Madeline, and they really shouldn't be. And again, Gene, I believe the last time Gene had a face-to-face with Madeline was X-Men issue number 25. And I thought that was written really well. And it showed Gene being compassionate. It showed Maddie being vindictive, but also move has has moved on in her life i wish we would have that editorial eye here but i'm sorry okay i'm gonna stop ranting about maddie so you know venom attacks spider-man because madeline like lobotomized him in the last issue and so he's just demonic it looks exactly the same to me here so i don't really know what the difference is here but he's attacking spider-man and Meanwhile, Ben Riley kind of meets up with Kamala and she's sort of being held prisoner there. I don't really understand why we have Miss Marvel here other than at, in the Disney Plus series, it's confirmed that she is an MCU mutant and that retcon is eventually going to start coming here. I've talked about this before. I, I love Miss Marvel. I love Kamala quite a bit. I love her series. I think if her... I, I love both the Disney Plus series and her actual comic book. When that comic book came out, I fucking loved it. And I believe I reread it while I was while while the TV show was going on. And it holds up. It's such a such a good series. But I really feel had Miss Marvel ended with her friend being like, there's something in you that makes you inhuman and cut to black they would have revived the Inhumans brand right then and there. Inhumans because you had Black Bolt in Multiverse Madness. And listen, the Illuminati sucked in Multiverse Madness, but people were very happy with how how Black Bolt looked. I'm forgetting the actor's name. You could just write off the other show. I believe I was talking about this with Scott Free. Just write off the other show as like variants, <laughs> you know, like a variant universe, you know, you know multiverse because they're doing multiverse. But you know, Kamala, I really do feel should not have been the first mutant introduced in the MCU. I don't mind if, you know, you're having mutants in the MCU like Storm, Rogue, Gene, Wolverine, Cyclops, Bishop, Xavier, Magneto. And you're like, oh, shit, man, the mutants are really popular. Let's take Kamala, who is like an A-list Marvel property, and retcon her to be a mutant. That 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 approach I'm fine with. I really am fine with. 
But we're all eager for the X-Men to come into the MCU. We're dying for mutants. We all thought Wanda was going to be revealed as a mutant, or she was going to say more mutants instead of no more mutants in Multiverse of Madness, and that's how we will get the X-Gene introduced. But instead, like a high school student is the one who tells this character who is traditionally not a mutant in the comics that she's a mutant. Ah, it was so infuriating. But again, we love Kamala Khan, so let's see where it goes. But I do believe she is just shoehorned in here right now because of her positioning for the future of uh, of her role in X-Men. And she obviously got that X-Men crossover issue, which I'm totally forgetting. But anyways, Jameson is seeing uh, that the entire city is in in, in a riot because objects are attacking, you know, their owners and people on the streets. And he's here like Christmas is canceled and Ben Riley shows up at his office and says New York isn't is not the only thing going to hell. So, you know, that's really cool and then we get a scene with Spider-Man versus Venom. He lights a book on fire and like punches him to try to defeat him and then, you know, we see Madeline Pryor arriving um to the fight with Hollow's Eve. I <laughs> Hollow's Eve is such a, I think Hollow's Eve is also getting a spinoff book. I mean, you talk about something that no one wants. I do worry that I feel like Marvel editorial just does not have an ear to the ground when it comes to what fans want in terms of spinoff books, in terms of character development and stuff like that, right? I think they have the old sayings like give readers what they want, but don't give it to them how they expect it something like that. I'm like, that's not working for you guys. Like, you have to stop this. You know what I mean? Like, anyways, so Madeline arrives and Spider-Man looks at her and goes, oh, wow, you really do look like Jean. And then he's sort of cut off. And Madeline's like, listen, don't say her name. I can remove your mouth. So behave. Um, We're just here, you know, on a secret mission. So, you know, uh, don't say anything. Let me just get her her words. Um, That involves Venom. This doesn't really make sense to me. Work that requires Eddie Brodick. But that doesn't make any sense because she unleashed him in the previous issue. So if she needed him, why did she go after him? I don't really get it. Okay, anyways. So she says, but you've got other things to worry about. It seems our mutual friend has completed his chores. And it's Ben Riley, And he says, hello, Peter. And he's imbued with lots of mystical energy. And that's where the issue is done at so i think it was a great issue for ben versus spider-man i i love the beat where spider-man looks at maddie he's like oh my god you look gene i i think that's a really good issue but again i think zeb wells is particularly invested in spider-man and i don't think that level of passion is sort of coming through for the x-men beats of the story so you know by no means a bad issue by no means bad issues overall. Like you're not going to go into this and be like, wow, this is not really well written. It is well written. You know, you've got to give credit where credit's due. Dugan and Wells are solid writers. McGinnis and Rice are solid artists. They have their A A game here. It's just, there's some flaws in the story inherently, like with the direction of it. It's not the direction I would have taken it in. And again, I, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback, as especially as an X stand. And it's like, if I could write it like that, I get it. I understand. But I think at the core of it, you, what kind of story are we trying to tell here? We're we trying to tell a story that's going to redeem Madeline, which I don't think that's it. 
or we're going to tell a story that's just more action paced. And I think we're getting an action paced story. So by means, by no means a terrible story, would I recommend it? I have to wait. I have to wait to see how everything sort of unfolds. As of right now, I'm telling you, I I don't think I would recommend it. I kind of we'll see where we'll see where everything eventually ends up. But I don't see this being groundbreaking. It's going to be in the same vein as Hellions and that inaugural X-Men Krakoan story. It's just not it's not going to be bad writing, but it's just writing that's just not going to go anywhere. So that's my review of the Dark Web issues this week. As I said last week, we're going to keep an eye on it. And I'm here in New York, and I was laying in bed this morning, and I was going through all the books. And I was like, you know what? I got some feels on it. Let's talk about it. So DM me at Power of X-Men. Let me know your feels.